0: It's going to be a big show with a great app pick. We have have a fun show for you today uh, with some app picks right out of the 90s. I'll tell you about those in just a moment. But first, have you ever wondered what software-defined networking is? What is that buzz term, and why is it actually important? And why the hell does the Linux Foundation care? They care a lot, too. Well, I went down to the Open Daylight Summit in this last week of September to wrap my head around software-defined networking, how Linux plays a role, and the revolution that is happening across an industry. We'll tell you about that and a little bit of what it's like to experience something like the Open Daylight Summit, a very tech-heavy, something that's still early in development with a big open-source component. I'll give you a little taste of that. So we have that coming up in in the show later on. But before then, in the news segment, Cody Boxes are piracy machines, according to law enforcement officials, and they are fighting the epidemic of Cody boxes. We'll tell you what the hell is going on with Cody, why you probably should care about it, even if you're not over in the UK, and maybe what might be happening, uh, maybe on Cody's end, we might just speculate what they might do to try to solve this problem down the road. Um, And man, the story is crazy, including people going to jail and all of it. Then um, our friends over at Purism have a survey that they'd like to get your opinion on, and uh, we're going to kick around their new project and tell you what's coming up with that. And then we've got an unboxing of a new rig as well as some cool upgrades, feedback. But before all of that, we've got those um, amazing picks. Yeah, the those best picks. ones
1: ever we've ever had.
0: Okay. The ones that Chris is going to use. All right. right. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? I am pretty jazzed up about this uh, Runs Linux pick. Uh, I, don't, I can't even imagine, I, I can't even know, I just can't, but somehow, back in 2015, Filmworld uh, submitted a Runs Linux to us, this is a, that's a YouTube channel, and uh, looks like it was a great video, a lot of effort put into it, and we just never had a chance to put it on air. So we wanna right that wrong right now.
2: This is video production that runs Linux from Filmworld. Hello everybody, I am Micah Pendleton from the YouTube channel Filmworld, and this is my Runs Linux. So yes, I am Micah Pendleton from the YouTube channel FilmWorld, and this is my computer. I switched from Windows about uh, over a year now, and my first distro was Ubuntu in Linux, and I liked it a lot, and I definitely have not missed Windows, but I decided to switch to Fedora recently. Is that Noah smiling right now? Probably is. But yes, I am now using Fedora 21 KDE edition. I really like KDE for my desktop. It's just a great desktop environment for video editing and things of that nature. And why does Weta Digital use it? Um, Yeah, but uh, I've got it on a custom-built computer. It has an Intel Core i5, uh, 3.2 gigahertz quad-core, 8 gigs of RAM, uh, nearly a terabyte of storage, uh, and a terrible ATI graphics card that I really want to upgrade to a nice NVIDIA soon. So hopefully by the end of the year, I can get this uh, machine somewhere where I want it. This is my laptop. It is a Dell Precision M2400 N-Series. It's a great laptop. I'm running uh, Fedora 21 Gnome Edition. Uh, I really like Gnome for the laptop. I prefer KDE for desktop, and then of course laptop will be Gnome. The downside is it only got three gigs of RAM. It did have two, but I had an extra stick of uh, one gig, so I I put it in there. Hopefully soon I can uh, double the RAM and get it up to six gigs. So uh, this is a great little laptop and I absolutely love it. (laughs) My smartphone is, of course, it's a Samsung Rugby Pro, uh, just running stock Android. I want to play with some maybe Tizen or Ubuntu Mobile on it at some point, uh, but that's my smartphone. Nice. You know, I bet he
0: has an even more up-to-date setup now, since this is from 2015. He should send Mm -hmm. it in to us. Where do they do that? How do they do that? Now, how do people get their runs Linux on the show?
1: Well... The, uh, the fastest way, the most sure way is to uh, send an email to me, noah.jupiterbroadcasting.com. at Of course, you can use the contact <laughs> link a lot of the, Well, I'm just saying, if you send it to me and I see my name in the, in now the you're thing, asking for there's it. less emails that are coming in there than they're coming to the contact form. But otherwise, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link, and, uh, and those robots will also get that message to us. The gr- best thing, best tip, though, is keep it short, concise. And have that video already uploaded to YouTube because those will always take precedence over things that people attach or pictures or, you know. Yeah, because here's the
0: nice thing about it being on YouTube is uh, we can link it in our show notes for people to watch afterwards that maybe are listening on the audio, but also... It's easy for us to pull it down at any speed we want whenever we want and store it mm-hmm. offline. So it, it works both ways. It's great for the audience and it's great for us too. So uh, yeah, that's that's definitely one way to do. It. The contact form makes it easy, and then you just upload your YouTube video or uh, mm-hmm. audio file, whatever you want to do. We'd love to hear about your setup. we'd love I mean, it's always cool to do like uh, the, like space space laboratories or uh, what was the there was there was a there there was a runner up we had today. What was a laboratory that was in that that video that uh, the runner Yeah, video. it was
1: basically about a guy that's working on warp drive. Like yeah. real like, Star Trek warp yeah, drive. Like, and like but the cool thing about that was he had monitors all the way around the room. And they all had Ubuntu on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about, I can't remember the name now, we've talked about the laboratory once before, because there, there was a piece that was on them in the past, and it's like Star Trek warp drive, and they're using Linux to figure all of that out. And so the scale of it from individual listeners and viewers to the freaking people that are creating warp drive for Captain Kirk's of the future, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty legit. So that's Linux for you right there. Speaking of legit, DigitalOcean, that's how you can support this show and spin yourself up one of those legit Linux servers on their great infrastructure. DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code, here's the thing, all one word, lowercase, like you it. Just, just put it into your DigitalOcean account and apply it as a credit. And then you can go spin up a rig. Now, they have hourly pricing and monthly pricing. So you get a $10 credit. So I, a lot of times I talk about this. If you get a $10 credit, obviously you can try out the $5 rig for two months for free. And at $5, you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a terabyte of transfer, a CPU. Not to mention, you can deploy a base Linux system, free BSD system, or an entire application with the OS and all the apps ready to go. Not using like magic sauce that uh, like Noah will always tell you. Like, I, he, hates, he hates magic configs. And I don't like magic configs. And I—that is one of the reasons. Even though I'd never tried one for probably the first nine months, I had ten months I'd used it. Well, I don't know how long, but it was a long time that I used DigitalOcean. I never tried one of their pre-built rigs because I don't like because magic. You didn't config. want magic config. Didn't want a magic config. Now here's your mission: is to start converting beard to no magic. Config. Well, let me tell you something, and I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to try to sway you because I know how strongly you feel, but. Right. When it came down to, I want to try out these three web apps really quick, and I don't want to junk up my system, I went, well, <coughs> home Cloud. I went uh, I, well, it was a couple of different things, and I decided I'll just do this one-click deployment of, and I plus, I'm not like, I've, I've set up Apache a trillion times in the past. Mm-hmm. I've set mm-hmm. up Nginx like a dozen times, So and I've set up Docker like a dozen times on Ubuntu because I usually use it on Arch, and so I thought, well, I'll try out their LTS uh, Nginx uh, I think it was Nginx, Postgres, Docker. I can't remember the combo, but it was exactly the combo I needed for the stack of a few web apps I was going to use. And I did a one-time deployment of that. And I also did a setup completely from scratch because I wanted to do a comparison, because I go, well, if sure. I'm going to do this. And I'll tell you what, it was literally exactly how I would have set it up. They imported the keys I imported, the, the repos I subscribed to. They did the updates to the base of Wintu system first to get it up in line. Then they go get the right packages from the individual repositories that are actually up to date with the correct keys. All of that stuff was done exactly the way I did it. It's just... I had to do it by hand. And yeah. that was the moment I was like they haven't this isn't this isn't magic config it's just properly configured right to a point and then I had to build everything else on top of it which is exactly how I wanted it. And I'll tell you I still don't have that in any of my droplets that I remain in production today those are all still custom built from the from a base OS up. But any time I want to just try something really quick, I do that now because I know they got a good config in there. I deploy one of those systems, throw the Docker image in there, try it out for 20 minutes, and then destroy the droplet. And I'm paying, like, what, $0.03 an hour when I do that? Use our promo code, here's the thing. You can do that a dozen times with a $10 credit. And they got data centers all over the world, and they have really a great interface to bring it all together. This interface is sweet. Their API is really well-documented, full-featured. And uh, they also recently have... A new tutorial up that I posted on the 28th, an introduction to big data concepts and terminology. I know this stuff makes my head spin. And I, I honestly have been, I, if I had, if I could avoid it, I would forever. But people keep talking about big data and all this different kind of stuff. And so it's nice to see DigitalOcean just have a nice write-up that's concise, clearly edited. So when you need to go learn the vernacular, this is a spot to go. They got great write-ups over there. They really pay a lot of attention to that. And that helps... Even beyond the custom-built stacks or uh, base systems, the documentation helps you take it up even further. You can use it in production. You can use it for testing. Just try it out. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Okay, Noah, dazzle me with your first pick, the desktop pick. I'm waiting.
1: <laughs> One of the biggest questions I got <clears throat> after we did the ThinkPad review was people wrote in and said, hey, I've got a GSM card inside of my XYZ computer, and I'm running into this problem where I can't get the card activated. And a couple people asked me for the model of the card that I bought, and so I sent that to them. And then they bought that card and said, "Well, I can't even activate this. I need, you know." And when they call, you call support. Obviously, they say, "Oh, we have this software package for Windows, and you just download that and use that." And then they said, "Well, do you have to install Windows on my machine?" "No, actually, you don't." The software that I was using to activate that uh, that modem card, in fact, and to the best of my knowledge, works with any broadband um, wireless card that requires activation. So if you go buy one at the store, you buy one of those little USB things. It has to be provisioned by the network. It has to be able, it has to be told yeah. like, I can do LTE services. I can do this, whatever. And it, that's particularly true with um, the CDMA characters, uh, carriers, uh, Verizon and, and and Sprint. You have to, they have to be activated, and that has to be initiated from the client side. So there's software for that. Modem Manager GUI. We have a link in the show notes. Is the software that will allow you to do this. Now, it's nothing that is fancy or or pretty. It's not going to wow you, but you only have to use it one time. Well, you know, let's it, be
0: honest. If you've ever had to use Verizon or AT and T or any of their managers for their connections. <laughs> They're not gonna allow yeah, you not, either. Yeah, this yeah, kind of yeah. looks like this kind of looks like a a slim down version of those that I've seen in the past. With at least yeah. it looks like GTK, which is at least familiar and, and comfortable.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you really, there's like three things you have to click on. But essentially, you launch the software. It will detect what your WAN modem is, and then you can go. And this is like in Russian for some reason. But the actual version is in English if you go and install it. But you um you go in there and and under the settings then. You can choose activate mm-hmm. or deactivate, and then it sends that initialization string, yeah. and then that modem becomes active. And then from there, you can use the. Um your normal network manager just drop down. Oh. Pops up. a little mobile uh, network thing. You click on mobile broadband. That and is nice. Yeah, okay. So you just have to use it the first time. Okay, uh, that's if cool. You change, if you change accounts or anything like that. So
0: it is. It's GTK3, uh, and you can get modem and SIM information, including device info, info operator name, mode, mm-hmm. IMEI, which is great for when you're trying to activate it, uh, as well as the signal level, which, and I mean.
1: send texts right from the software, too. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Well, but because,
0: I mean, because of these these things do have... Do have SMS capabilities? I mean, mm-hmm. so if you can, why not? But okay, so almost, almost what gets me just alone signal information. Yeah, yeah. You just can, yeah, to be you, able yeah. to have a GUI in Linux to know what the signal is on my myFi yeah. or my, my 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 LTE WAN connection, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So just to recap, would you put the one that works for you under Linux in the show notes? Whichever sure. whichever. Which if it's a or CD may put the, it. Oh,
1: okay, the card, yeah, yeah. yeah the card, the chip, yeah. So that sure. way
0: people know kind of if they have something in there. To, so that mm-hmm. with Modem Manager GUI, probably only going to work in the U.S., but, well, maybe. I don't know. You have to check it out when he gets Yeah, it, I haven't it. tried it outside of the U.S. <clears throat> that is pretty nice, and, you know, I could see broadcasting on the road wanting to have machines have their own. One of the ways I was thinking about getting, instead of trying to combine mobile broadband connections on the road, Mm-hmm. Maybe having what this machine have its own mobile broadband connection and this machine have its own mobile broadband connection because oh, yeah. I happen to have a friend in the carrier business who might be willing to work with me on this. So it's not like sure. it's going to get nuts. And that's this could be a nice way to do that is maybe the IRC machine and has its own connection in the I don't know. So I'll play with that. I might. You might. Are you right? I might end up playing with it. Now, I don't think you've got me on the spotlight. I don't think so. But maybe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, warm me up. No. What okay. you got? What All you right. got?
1: Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, almost a year ago, I had started uh, transitioning over to free PBX, Asterisk now, uh, and setting up my own phone server and doing things that way rather than the the uh, cloudy based solution that we were using before. And since that time, I we have we're now managing for uh, a number of businesses, managing their systems as well as one for Jupiter Broadcasting. So last Tuesday, I went to do a a, a new concept uh, for a show. We we're using the Linux Unplugged spot, and for those of you that have been like worrying in your in your in your pants about uh, about Linux unplugged format getting uprooted that's not the case we were just using that time slot yeah um, and I was and at the open
0: daylight summit which we'll be talking about today in the show and so exactly we needed that time filled and that worked out perfectly because let's be honest it's also uh, it's also a great chance to I mean it's an unplugged show so it's a great chance to experiment with formats from time to time and yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think so. It if, well. if 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 it continues on, uh, it would continue on as as an entirely separate show. We would not be replacing Linux Unplugged. We value our mobile room too much. But I needed a piece of software that I could take phone calls, live calls on the air, and of course it had to run on Linux because that's the box that I had hooked up to the mixer. And so, I've played with a number of different software. I've played with Zoiper extensively, and about a year ago, I was playing with a software called SFL Phone, which was a great piece of software, but it was just very dated. And they have redone the software from the ground up, come up with a brand new UI. Everything is is refreshed. They have new graphics. Everything is really clean and neat looking. And the new project, or the the evolution of the project, is Ring. Ring. Ring.cx is their website. And basically, what it is is a SIP client. So it is a phone software client that runs on your mobile device or on your Linux desktop. And I used it extensively on Tuesday to take all of the calls. So that was all being powered with ring.cx. It's GPL3,
0: open source, obviously open source, active community, does mm-hmm. end-to-end encryption, um, also supports certificates for identity management, mm-hmm. open DHT protocol for discovering decentralized communication, peer-to-peer discovery, so, I have it installed here, too. I think I've had Ring installed since the day you set up the uh, the AirMaster computer for me. Let me just let me see. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I will tell you, my, own, my main experience with Ring, although I do like the UI, but my main experience with Ring is, man, this son of a gun takes forever to build. This, is, this app, man, building it from source takes forever. But, yeah, that's why I have a PPA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're doing that? Yeah, because there's not probably a binary. Uh, so... Uh, when you, get, when you get started, you get like a QR code. What's, what's, this, what's this about? So this,
1: what it does, it's actually really cool. Let's say you and your friend have Ring set up and you're both sitting on the same LAN, but you don't want to go through the trouble <clears throat> of setting up a, a PBX server. Mm-hmm. You can actually install Ring, he can install Ring, and then you can, over the network, discover each other or send your little, your little Ring ID over to other people and you can have instantaneously VoIP communication around your LAN without ever setting up a central
0: server. Hmm. And it looks like I have one connection already set up that you probably set up a while ago, ready Correct. to go. So that's really cool. Uh, the UI is, is slick. You see the way it bops around when you click on mm-hmm. stuff? That's, that is I I neat. It.
1: I think it's really neat. And like I said, the fact that I was able to jump right into it, first time I've used it in a while, um, and use it on air while I'm doing 10 other things, and it didn't give me any problems, and I was able to do a show on it. So if I put that QR
0: code um, up um, there, can
1: people call me on Ring? No. I, well, I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, I think God, it that'd has be, to be really on the, cool. I'm pretty sure it has to be over a LAN for that to work. Oh, yeah. That would I make think. sense. Well, and plus,
0: yeah, because otherwise there's no – they'd have to have an intermediary server service yeah. to – yeah.
1: yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's
0: only local LAN discovery, but I could be wrong. Okay. So that is Ring, and that is uh, that's a great – that is probably one of the best, uh, like, sip, uh, clients. SIP clients on Linux, but maybe one of the best SIP clients, period. I mean, I've messed with just a couple commercial ones on sure. this uh, old iMac that's in the studio. Uh-huh. And they all were total dumpster fires, just dumpster fires. Huh. So Ring at least has a nice, clean UI that seems—I don't know—I haven't had, a, of course, I haven't had a lot of experience with. It. Maybe there's maybe there's some client out there, people the really love, but Ring was nice. The only downside I've had is you installed it like once and then I, for some reason we don't use it we use a different sip client on this machine which i don't remember I what we, i think we're using zoiper yeah zoiper which i don't remember yeah, why that, that is.
1: because when i installed ring there were some issues with it because that was back it was early beta days uh-huh. and there were certain things that weren't working but i, I that, that's why it's the spotlight is i was uh, i've used it in the past i've tried it it had some cool promise but i'm telling you as of at yeah. least as of
0: tuesday it's better it's, it, it works. I can use we it. We should try I taking can... calls in the feedback segment. See what works. Yeah, we could do that. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. If you'd like to see some of our past picks, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash picks. And uh, if you're getting up a new rig or maybe a new phone or you want to find some great open source projects, we have a whole list there that gets updated uh, periodically as we uh, get people out there to often, Mr. Tennell or somebody in the community that steps up and gets it done. So, all right, Noah, let's do the news. <laughs>
1: The news in this episode is brought to you by...
0: Ting.com, last.ting.com. Won't you please visit there and support the show, and you'll get yourself a $25 discount off their service if you bring a phone. You'll also get $25 off a phone if you don't have one. Now, Ting is great. Both No and I are customers for Ting, been customers for a long time. It's just couple of reasons. It's really simple and I don't really have time for anything more complicated. You pay for what you use. That's it. It's $6 for the line. You bring a device or you buy an unlocked device from Ting. If That's it. that's If you don't get that, then I don't know what to say. I don't know what to... I'm, I'm out of here. Oh, I'm plugged in, I can't go. Get back here, we're I'm doing actually wired in, I can't go. No. So I, well, I guess if I have to stay, I might as well tell you more about Ting. Last.ting.com, go there. That supports the show and gets you our discount. I think one of my favorite aspects of Ting is their dashboard. They have a really good dashboard. So good that I've never had to call their really great customer service. I think if their dashboard wasn't so damn good, I'd be sitting here telling you about how fanatically great their customer service is. I've only had to call them a couple of times, like once for myself. Once for somebody else. How many times have you called Ting customer service in over two and a half years now?
1: Uh, one time, I called them once. I had, <clears throat> I had a phone.
0: And interestingly
1: enough, like I, so I, I had a phone and it was, a, it was a Samsung S4 Mini, and I was trying to activate it, and I didn't realize that CDMA phone at the time, I didn't realize that CDMA phones needed SIM cards, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't activate it. <laughs> Turns out I was the dumb one. So when and they, they, go, they Were like, well,
0: sir, um, they sent me a free SIM card. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I got a note from somebody the other day that got a postcard after they talked to Ting <laughs> the customer support. Really? Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I know it's so cool. Lastting.com is where you go, and then even if you're not going to become a Ting customer, if you just want to learn a little bit more, swing by their blog while you're there, spend a little time because I have been a a Sling fan now for a little bit. I run it on my Shield, Android Shield TV, and I'm a cord cutter, but obviously as somebody who follows the news pretty closely, I love having live news. There's, there's like, a whole bunch of live sports on this thing, too. Also, the History Channel and Food Network. That's like, checks my boxes. So that's why I subscribe mm-hmm. to Sling. Because I can, really, I can just stream these live television mm-hmm. services when I need it. Sure. Uh And I even do it over a Wi-Fi connection from time to time. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's gotten even better recently with improved hardware support, uh, new uh, new shows, all that. Oh, hi there. Hi there. Whoa. Hi there. All that goodness. So uh, go check it out. They just did a, uh, a blog write-up about it over on the Ting site. So start by going to last.ting.com and then check out their blog. And uh, I, guess, I, guess, well, I guess I could also – that's interesting. I could put it on my phone. I never really thought about running that on my phone. It would be pretty good. But there's never been a better time to sign up for Ting because they just had a uh, price drop, too, on their data. So go check them out. Last.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So speaking of my uh, Shield TV, probably the number one app I run on my Shield TV, as you guys know, is Cody. Kodi. Noah and I both fanatically love Kodi. We have Android boxes we run it on. We've had uh, PCs we've run it on before. We've, hell, man. I I honestly, I know I mention this from time to time, but it's true. I I ran Kodi when it was called XBMC on the original Xbox, and I had to hack an Xbox to do it. So I've got a long history of using Kodi legally. And I think, as anybody knows, an open source project like Linux, like Firefox, can be used for legal and illegal things. It's just the mm-hmm. nature of the way technology works. But and torrents, sure, yes, another great example. But and and we'll get to we'll get to why here in a moment. But Cody boxes are now not just kind of getting a passing mention; <laughs> they're like the they're like the source of a big crackdown going on. Um, The Cody Boxes and other devices which which can be configured to enable the streaming of pirated content are becoming key targets in a UK government intellectual property crime crackdown, revealing the extent to which the so-called fully loaded Cody Boxes are being used to circumvent copy protection laws. The the Federation Against Copyright Theft, which stands for FACT, Federation Against Copyright Theft, FACT, uh, has stated that half of its investigations currently center—I want to say that again— Half of its investigations currently center around streaming devices using third-party piracy software add-ons. Half their investigations right now. Half their investigations. Uh, it's an international racket, according to the government's intellectual property office. Crime report. We have that linked in the show notes. They released an annual crime report PDF. They In the PDF, they say, We are aware that the set-top boxes, while perfectly legal in their own right are frequently adapted by criminals to illegally receive TV channels protected by intellectual property rights, a spokesperson for the IPO told the BBC. Now, the IPO is that report. The government is working with its partners in the industry and with police forces across the country to target criminals looking to profit from this activity. We are also working closely with our international partners Wow, to target the cross-border infrastructure that underpins the illegal streaming. Wow. Then uh, the BBC runs a report. Piracy fighters battle the Cody epidemic. The Cody epidemic. I don't I don't really have a lot to take from this article. I did like this one line though. Uh, here is uh, this is that's a line that they took from a fact representative, the the Federation. Remember those guys? The Federation. Uh, this is becoming an epidemic, she says. Uh, if you're not paying for Sky, BT, or uh, or one of the pay TV providers for your subscription channels, you are clearly in possession of an illegal box. Mm. Remember, this, of course, goes back to where it's, things are set up a little differently over there, where they have the subscription to, uh, to get their televisions much different than the way that we do TV here. So they mm. take violation of that very, very seriously. Uh, Where we don't really, and people here cut the cord and still find lots of ways to get television service without having to pay some sort of licensing fee or whatever they call it. Uh, And then uh, just a couple of more notes on this story. The uh, Torn Freak site has a pretty good breakdown of this UK IP crime report that we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, in it, they talk about the fast-growing Cody threat. This is the 2015-2016 report. It was just published a couple of days ago revealing that infringement trends gathered from both governmental and private anti-piracy groups. Oh, I bet those are reliable sources. Uh, They show that this year, the online sector for IPTV and Kodi, torrent sites, and streaming ripping are seen as the main threats they face. Meanwhile, the report reveals that pirating Internet subscribers will be receiving warning letters before the end of the year. They have jaw-dropping numbers. They said during a sample, a three-month period last year, 28% of the quest questioners admitted their music downloads in the UK came from illegal sources. 23% of films, 22% of software, 16% of TV, and 15% of games were downloaded in breach of copyright.
1: So, I, the, I earlier this week, I actually sent, not this particular article, but one of them to, to Chris, and I said, we should talk about this on Sunday. And, one of the things that has frustrated me since day 1 was when this great technology of torrents came out all of a sudden a bunch of people started using it for illegal purposes and then you have ISPs banning torrents outright because they're illegal and they're supporting you know this 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 illegal activity and 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 what we've done is we have eliminated a a very useful key piece of technology just because a select group of people are doing something bad with it and now we have these media streaming devices and I don't care which one you're using I love
0: have local media have you ever been on eBay and seen one of these fully loaded boxes that it come with everything all set up
1: I guess i have not seen one on so uh, I, have a, on I have an eBay, example
0: I, I have an example advertisement this is actually I think the guy that got busted that we're gonna talk about here in a second mm-hmm. this is the advertisement that he ran on uh, his Facebook page the new TV entertainment center only 69 euros or whatever Funny money, it's not you. You know, you get my point. It's like 80 bucks American, real greenbacks. <laughs> we give 30-day money-back guarantee on our stream box. You get all these movies and TV show box sets and more. Not just a TV box for all your channels, question mark. You get every film and TV show box set out, exclamation mark. Latest CDs, out. Live music TV updates itself on the internet. No dish needed. All TV sets with 12-month guarantee. Various secondhand TVs. For different prices, while stocks last, he gives his phone number, and then he shows a screenshot of the UI in Cody, where every show that's popular, from Daredevil, even shows like Chuck, NCIS, and others, are preloaded, ready to go on this mm-hmm. fully loaded Cody box. This but is brazen the, advertising here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing: these. So the 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 um, if you're going to intentionally set out to pirate stuff, I don't have a ton of sympathy for you, but. At least from at least from what I was reading, it seems like th- we're not making a distinction between people that are selling boxes with pirate that, that, that specifically are are are, uh, are targeted for pirating TV and just people who want a box to watch local media. And the thing is, like especially for our audience, <clears throat> there is no pirating Jupiter Broadcasting. You can download this show and every other show on the network for free. That's what we want you to do. Um, and 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 things like cody boxes especially if the even if they are configured to have a bunch of add-ons to make to facilitate you know easier use that th- there are still ways to use that stuff for your local media and, th- and then the last thing is that and i try to evaluate everything in this light is I'm not saying that stealing is ever right. I'm not saying that that it's it's justifiable or or anything like that. But what I am saying is that shouldn't we be focusing on things that you can actually control? And how can you actually – if somebody wants to pirate TV shows or movies, there's no real way to stop them. So basically you're going on the honor system anyway.
0: So uh, I think there's a couple of things in there that I want to respond to. The first being uh, there is an interesting blame you could put on the criminals because, first of all, half these Cody add-ons they're promoting indirectly or directly really suck. They don't work very well. They crash constantly. They they typically, the feeds they pull from go offline. So they're real stinkers. And it's a real shame to not, not only are they just shucking piracy and using Cody to deliver it and then tarnishing Cody's name but the product that they're selling sucks i mean that's a, that's just the ultimate insult mm-hmm. and then to, to zoom out a little bit they they were brazen with their marketing i don't know what the hell that post was that wasn't english I, that was some that was some chopped up crap that was in that facebook post it feels mm-hmm. like a it feels like a bullshit scam post to begin with Mm-hmm. And then you're right; they're not making the distinction between Cody the platform and the add-ons. Now, right. I think w- w- there's, I think there is probably internally with this fact panel, they do seem to understand there is a differentiator there, mm-hmm. um, and they're not; they don't seem to be going after the Cody project itself. They're going directly after these sellers, like this gentleman where uh, this uh, this guy is Brian Thompson. He's actually the first case in the UK for selling one of these set-top boxes. He's got a trial that's uh, scheduled to start on October 27th, so coming up in just a couple of days. They're going after these guys right now. What I want to see, though, is what's the Cody Project going to do to try to respond to this? Mm -hmm. Are they going to take steps to do add-ons like this more difficult? Are they going to be compelled or pressured to have uh, some sort of approved authenticated add-ons? Is there gonna be is there gonna be a thinning of the approved types of plugins? Is this gonna hurt the overall plugin market for Cody? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what this means for Cody and its future add-ons because it feels like if this grows much, and here's mm-hmm. the problem. Cody's getting really good, and they're about to come out with another release that's like even better. Like They're really mm-hmm. on the precipice of like one of the best standout open source main user interfacing products on the market. I'm talking about stuff average mm-hmm. users interact with. They're, they're up there in, as one of the best right now, and they're getting even mm-hmm. better, which means they're going to see wider adoption, which means this pressure is going to grow, and I feel like they will have to respond in some way, not directly likely, but indirectly by mm-hmm. modifying po- policies or making it harder for this kind of stuff. And and, the, and is then, that really their job? I, is, that I wish really it their, wasn't. is that really
1: is that really is that really their job to go in and try to police these other people?
0: Well, it, here's the thing: it, Do you want them to survive as a project? See, I don't want them yes. to do this. I'm not advocating they do this. I want to make that clear. I'm saying that they might, for their own self preservation, say, "Shit, we better." We better knock some of this stuff off, or else pretty, pretty soon they're going to come knocking on our door. There, there are a few steps removed from the actual Cody project now. They're going after guys like, like this Brian Thompson right now. That's who, they're, that's who these lawmakers are focused on. But there will be a point in the future where the, after they've gotten some of these guys, they've gotten the low-hanging fruit, they're going to be somebody's going to make the argument, Well, why don't we go after the software that's making this possible? And these people they're not like they're they're not like super advanced power users. It seems mm. like even if nothing were ever to actually come of it, the Cody project eventually is going to find itself under some heat because two facts remain. The people that are enforcing this stuff don't have a clue what they're talking about, and the popularity of Cody is going to continue to grow. And let's throw a third one in there. More people want to cut the cord than ever, and there's just not a lot of great ways to get great content easily on a TV box that works really great. And so mm. Cody Checks a lot of boxes there. It seems like this is a problem that's going to increase for them. I, I don't know. I I, I think that I think that's a fight worth fighting.
1: I think that uh, I think that if I were in charge of Cody or I were part of the Cody team, I'd say, listen, we produce a product and we make the uh, we make the ability to for people to custom write add-ons and provide their those specific products or services through our platform easy because that is kind of. How we established ourselves, that's how we differentiate ourselves from an Apple TV or a Roku. And so these uh, – and so, and some people are going to take that, that ability and they're going to do bad things with it. And there's really nothing we can do about it. And there's, it's not our responsibility to do anything about it. And so if you don't like that, then go after the people that are making the add-ons. And if you can catch them and if you can somehow get code off the internet, good luck with that. Um, then you can pull them down. And until then,
0: Sorry. I think that is uh, a fine argument. I'll just go tell that to all of the torrent tracking websites that constantly get taken yeah. down, even though they yeah. don't host the files themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm not saying that you're not right in a practical sense. I'm just saying I think it's a fight worth fighting.
0: I believe they will make that connection. They will, this, Cody, oh, well, sure. Cody will essentially become a torrent tracking site, and we've seen mm-hmm. thousands of torrent tracking sites taken down. And they mm-hmm. don't ever have to host the original content, they just have mm-hmm. to facilitate the connection to the pirated content. And that, I believe, is the role they'll say Cody plays. And then mm-hmm. that'll be the pressure they're under. I hope, I wish you were right. Because, you know, we like, here's an example of a legit plugin. We've got one the Jupyter Broadcasting add on. We've got that linked in the show notes. People a, pirating our content. And it might need some updates, too. It's an open source. Uh, Rob Loach is the original author. I'm not sure if he's still updating it. Or you could always poke him. Or if you see something that's GPL, we could always use some updates. I don't think user error is featured in there. Pretty sure user error isn't. And it's a, that's an example of that's mm-hmm. not something we could maintain. Independent mm-hmm. content creators rely on a community to develop that kind of stuff. We need a platform mm-hmm. that's popular enough that they enjoy consuming the content on. And again, mm-hmm. Cody checks all those boxes. So I hope nothing happens to him. It's one of my favorite open source projects. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Pixel Pimps t- says he uses that. Yeah, there you go. See, thanks, guys. Yeah, a couple of people in the chat room using it. All right. So by the way, chat rooms here on a Sunday. If you'd like to watch live, you can. JBLive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time. It's noon Pacific. And when you're here, you can bang suggest, you can bang suggest. And I hope the chat room's doing that, to uh, help title our show. And then we vote to the death at the end, and only one chat room person walks away alive. All right, next I'm, news story. Uh, so this is an interesting one. You remember the folks at Purism, right, Noah? I do. Purism, uh, with the creators of my Librem 15 laptop. It was a project that I crowdfunded, and I, I think it was... Was, about, was it 18 months later? It was, it was very late, but we ended up eventually getting the laptop and did a review here on the show, and it, it had some problems, um, but overall, I like the design. It's a good piece of equipment, but because of those problems, I've, I never am able to use it for serious production work, which for nearly a $2,000 laptop, that's a bit of a shame, but that was the gamble I took so I could report about it right here on the show because what Purism wanted to build was a high-end MacBook competitor laptop with Linux users in mind and not just technical Linux users, but also users who want their privacy and their freedoms respected. So things that Mm -hmm. wanted to integrate was physical kill switches and eventually get some of the binary blobs freed and uh, things like that. That That's still sort of, I guess, in progress. I'm not really clear where they're at because it still required. Their their laptops, the Librem 13 that you reviewed, how long ago? A few months ago. Yeah. Still required uh, Intel's binaries and, and those mm. kinds of things. So that, I guess, I think that and, work is ongoing. But to I'm refresh
1: sure. everyone's memory, I did have a better experience on the 13 than you had on yeah. the 15.
0: Yeah, the 13 did seem like a more refined machine, although I yep. think you ended up still not giving it a fully enthusiastic no. review.
1: No, no, yeah, that's right.
0: So now uh, they've also launched a tablet, which we've talked about kind of recently, although the, the Librem 11, an Intel-based tablet convertible device that has its own UI on it with their mm. own Linux stack uh, that supposedly does convergence. But I don't think we've actually seen any working examples, and I don't think anything's shipped yet. Uh, and now it sounds like they may be starting work or at least preparing for work on a phone. And they've launched a survey to ask people what they want. Now the specs of the phone are a Freescale quad-core system-on-a-chip. Uh, they also have DDR3 RAM in the, in the sucker. With not quite sure how much RAM yet. It's in the survey. Supposedly you could have uh, hardware kill switches for the phone, uh, the phone baseband, the the microphone, and the webcam. So physical hardware kill switches in your handset. And they've launched a survey. I wouldn't I took it. It's kind of a long, in-depth survey. And they even ask you, like, would you be okay with a no-carrier version of the phone? So it seems like this is really maybe targeted at at super geeks, potentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would have their own Linux UI on there, I believe. They uh, plan to have fingerprint scanning. Uh, They say free software with bona fide GNU Linux stack, not Android. Uh, They say you can avoid corporate wiretapping, freedom-respecting software, and break the cycle of planned obsolescence imposed by most manufacturers. And it will have a headphone jack. What are your initial reactions to something like this? The phone market
1: is one of the most highly competitive markets out there. We have seen a decline in users of desktop operating systems, and it is, it is, it is accelerating downwards. In fact, I just – you know, <clears throat> end of the year, we go through and we review with a lot of our clients – How do we do, do we meet your budget, you know, specifications, and then that that follows, that immediately precedes January, where I'm going to go sit down and we're going to lay out a budget and say, this is what we want to do in 2017, and here's all the equipment that you, here's all the problems you want to solve, and here's all the equipment we need and all the software, and then they'll agree to it, and then nine months later, they'll want to spend more than that, and then they cycle repeats And what I have seen, anyway, in this year is that all of the desktops and laptops that we plan to buy... Are getting almost no use, and all of the phones and tablets that we didn't plan to buy that they decided they needed along the way are what is doing the heavy lifting. In mm. fact, I have a president of an organization now that has one of those th- that obtusely large Samsung tablet. You know what I'm talking about, like the 21 inch, yes. yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like, and yeah. he has that on a stand on his desk with a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard, and he runs that. That is his. That's what he does his daily what stuff. What is on.
0: happening? What is? What
1: because are you- they here's why we have a, a generation of kids and th- actually i have a better example i have a i have another ceo large organization and he is he's probably 31 32 years old so he's our, our age and he has one of those unify sip phones and if you haven't seen it it's an android tablet with a headset on it and the thing about him was is he said i'm so used to all of my apps and the way i do things on my phone i want one of those on my desk. And so we went out and looked and found that Unify SIP phone. Alright, so bring so this home for me.
0: Bring it home for me. Where, well, where are you so, going? Well,
1: well, so what I'm saying is that we have we have a an entire, the entire world is moving towards these kind of devices and Samsung and Apple are already heavily dominating them and taking those platforms and putting them everything known to man. Tablets, phones, everything else. So if you're going to come as a company and you say, I want to introduce a product and I want to compete in this world, you better have a very, very competitive advantage that appeals to a large number of people or you're not going to make it, My, and and to, to, so to ask a, a simple, poignant question: Where are you going to get the hardware to manufacture this stuff? Because Samsung and Apple and Motorola and LG are eating up the glass and the processors and the the, the phone bodies. And so, what kind of phone are you going to be able to produce, and what kind of performance is it going to have if it's a device that's manufactured by a th- by somebody who is just now in 2016 entering the market, and you're competing with essentially? Markets that have started in two thousand. So right, I'm going to take
0: it. So here, this is this is what this reminds me of, and this is, it's funny because I don't mean to, to to give Count Zero in the chat room a hard time, but we joked uh, more than a year ago. We joked about a, a faux show type phone, like if we if the Jupiter Broadcasting was going to make a faux phone. This is this was the faux phone that we came up with, and and I think the reason for that was because we don't have any idea what we're talking about. We don't know what it's like to make a phone. We don't know what the limitations are, and also I don't I don't know how you. I don't know. They must be very early in the process here because they're asking questions that would seem to need to be pretty much dialed in at this point. Like, how much RAM does it take? Well, that seems like that would be required by the software stack. That, like, you know, like, how could you be asking me if I should put 512 mega re- megs of RAM in it or 4 gigs? That is a huge range that you should know how much the system's going to take. I don't think that makes any sense. There's questions in here about do you want it to have cellular connectivity or not? That's a pretty defining characteristic of the product. Seems like that's something you should know at this point.
1: Well, so maybe they're not maybe they're not maybe what they're doing is they're looking at
0: building a phone, not of course. I believe that's 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 where I'm going. So that's mm-hmm. where I think we're at. And here is, I think my first reaction was well, this isn't something I necessarily need, but I think it's something that there is that there is a demand still for a for a a device that's running a bona fide, as they put it, Linux stack mm-hmm. that you can tinker with. Something like there was the, there's, there's been lines of phones that have never quite made it in the past um, that were really, really unique devices that were really compelling, but they never really reached scale. And I, I, that is a, that's a whole totally separate problem. The issue with something like this is purism has a tendency to go for crowdfunding. And as I now see it, they have now launched potentially a third project mm-hmm. without ever finishing the first project. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not clear who they're targeting here. If they're pitching the ultra elite geek user, then why do they talk about things in terms that geek users roll their eyes at? That anybody who really knows their stuff, don't, they, don't want, they don't want your crappy custom OS that you just made at six months to a year ago. Nobody, nobody that knows their stuff wants that, so who are you pitching this to? So when you, when you talk about an ultra-secure OS with all this great protecting your privacy, which is one bullet point, and then digital security is another bullet point, and then avoid corporate wiretapping is another point, all very vague. Like you're talking to users that will be watching this on QVC, but then the only people that would be interested in a product like this <laughs> are people that know what a baseband is. Why do I mm. want a hardware kill switch for my baseband unless I know what that is? So, uh, so again, a third project now where they've totally missed the mark on the audience. And it's kind of shocking at this point that they've mm-hmm. even been around this long and they're still blowing it like this. Like they hyper-sold the protect your freedom and your privacy on the laptops and then delivered laptops that were full of stuff that wasn't open source and free. It just mm-hmm. – okay, that was a market reality. So, mm-hmm. so adjust your pitch. We want to get as close mm-hmm. as possible and make the most well-designed system. But we're also going to ship just, it. But we're, we're also going to ship it. While well, we can, okay. we're going to ship you something as close as yeah. we get to it. But be very clear about that. And then, and then with the with the new tablet. Mm-hmm. Ship it. Mm-hmm. Show us it works. Yeah. Show us there's a product before you even start talking about the third product. You're talking about launching a third product even if you're talking yeah. in vague terms, oh, we're putting out feelers put That's like that's like when you go hang out with your buddies and when one of them's like, "Hey, wouldn't it be fun if we went back and all uh, had a nap together?" Dude, that's a weird feeler. What's going on? There's like more behind that than just a feeler. That's a serious question that he just passed off as a joke. You've all been there, right? And then they pet your hair, right? We've that has not happened to any of us, but I'm... Oh. Uh, well, anyway, we that's what this feels like. Talk like, if that happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, guys, I got this phone idea, but I'm just asking. Well, you're clearly thinking about building a phone, and you haven't even finished the first job. The laptops aren't done yet. The, the binary blobs haven't been solved. The privacy issue hasn't been cracked. The complete OS hasn't been solved. My laptop's fan still blows like crazy. This hasn't been... that. Your original job hasn't been... Finished yet? And then and the laptop, be- or then the tablet, hasn't shipped yet. So this seems, this seems like they're blowing their credibility to me.
1: Well, the other thing that that occurs to me is that when you say you know they haven't finished the the first job, I think that there was a larger market for a laptop than there is for this. I and if you think about it, the largest market of users that hasn't been filled yet is something that Librem could have targeted very well and probably been very successful at, and that is. I'm not so concerned about the freedom aspects. I just want a really good, sleek, aluminum, MacBook-like experience that runs Linux. And if it has a couple binary blobs, I can live with that. I just want good performance, and I want it to run Linux, and I want it all in a complete yeah. package. Yeah. Kind of like what System76 does, mm-hmm. except more, more Mac-like or whatever. Well, and they I could just be more focused. Like
0: if, they, if yeah. they did two laptops, and they just exactly. always had 30, two really great laptops. And imagine if they did that for like five years, and they became yeah. known as some of the most well-built Linux... Linux... Linux laptops out there, and they own that. Then, on that reputation, they launch something like this, people be like, oh shit, this is great. Yeah, well, so there's
1: uh, there's a market for that we're talking about, and then I think there's a smaller market, substantially smaller, where you have the people that care about you know, freedom and privacy and stuff like that. And I think, then we've talked about this before. I don't think those two overlap at all. I don't think no. there's a ton of people over those there that people, are like those I really people care about are. Privacy. The
0: people like that are buying these ten-year-old Dell computers like this one right, right. here, or System 76 or yeah. Lenovo's, and they're loading Core Boot on them themselves, and exactly. they're setting up their own bootloader. And they're buying hardware. that might have mm-hmm. like a Core Two in it or something like, or, or maybe something. I mean, le- they already yeah. have that problem solved. And the people that right. really care about I mean, that, that be- are motivated to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so
0: so, then you have that market and then even like, like, pr- like
1: infinitely smaller than that market, you have people that are interested in doing all of that on a tablet and then a subsection of that market is the people that want to do it on their phones and, and when you get to that point, I question how many people are even left and the people that are left, how many of those people aren't already looking at Ubuntu phone? And what, is, what are they offering that Ubuntu phone isn't offering? So because they've lost the full stack Linux thing, right? That already exists on Ubuntu phone. So what are you left with? You're left with, well, you have a, a more privacy-centered OS
0: on a phone with no apps? But by whose definition? See, I actually – I would pose the question to you. If, you, if you're if you going to get serious and you're really going to pitch me that it's all about pe- protecting privacy, privacy mm-hmm. and freedom, well, mm-hmm. then uh, can you prove to me that a – a dozen-person company is more capable of standing up to a national security letter or an FBI warrant than a thousand-person company? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, I mean, if you look at, let's take, uh, let's take an example. We have, uh, what was uh, the Lava Bit? We have Lava Bit as an example. Yeah, LeVar Levinson or whatever his name was, I can't remember yeah, yeah. now. He had yeah, to basically yeah. shut down his option because he was a small shop. He couldn't fight it. He just had to shut down.
1: And by the way, good for him, good on him for doing that rather than most bend. people
0: wouldn't. Most yeah. people. So you yeah, come right. at me and you tell me you're selling something that's super secure and private. Well, so was uh, so was LavaBit, and his only option was to eject. So I'm, I don't even buy the principle that a tiny company can guarantee me freedom against. Nation states or uh, uh, crazy police investigations or even motivated hackers. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. I buy that concept to begin with. So I feel like that's a lost battle. The people that are super crazy concerned about privacy that are the only people that hold that line for us, they're already out there fighting that fight. And the people that want great systems are going to just have to look elsewhere because they don't seem to have one finished product yet.
1: Yeah. And to be clear, we are not so much railing on the company as much as we are their strategy in trying to to sell some of this stuff. I think both you and I would love a lot of these products that are coming out. And I think both of you would love for, for this kind of thing to succeed. But both of us having been, been, been are, what do you mean, been, both of us being business owners understand and have an insight into how to read, you know, a, a market and then how to respond to it. And neither one of us can really wrap our heads around why they're making the decisions they're making and why they're pursuing the paths they're pursuing and how that's ever going to lead to success.
0: And I'll say this, uh, and this is the reason probably my number one motivation for caring is. Um they're touching on things here that are house of cards for Linux that we are already have a lot of egg on our face. You know, look at look at look at our successes in the mobile phone industry. What we can pin our hat on is well, um, Android is powered by Linux. Yeah, yeah, okay. How far has Ubuntu Phone gotten? How far has Sailfish gotten? How far have all these alternatives gotten? They haven't made a dent in the Western markets. So we yeah. already have our egg on our face when it comes to this. Don't forget to, Firefox away. To the to the bold claims that we're gonna we're gonna build something that the richest companies in the world and all of the carriers across all these nations haven't come up with the bold claim and statement, which is great about open source, but it looks embarrassing when we keep. Falling on our face and we keep doing it with laptop hardware. We've finally gotten like man You look at how many years system 76 has been finally building up a name for at least a decent hardware manufacturer They have earned that position so hard And then you have companies coming around with lots of flash getting lots of coverage and they erode at the good work that other people are doing The fundamental issue here is there is a name on the line and it's open source And in this case it might be Linux on the desktop It might be Linux on the phone when you get a lot of coverage and then you fail to deliver a few times in a row, it starts to make all of us look bad. That's sort of my baseline concern because the flip side is I'm also super motivated about it because I like everything that they say. I like taking user privacy to the next level and giving me hardware toggle switches. I like Mm -hmm. the idea of a phone that I could have that would have a real Linux stack on it that would be usable that somebody could actually ship it. And I like the idea of a killer MacBook quality laptop that comes with Linux and having another great choice for Linux hardware. All of those things are super important to me. I like everything Purism says. I don't feel like they're delivering on anything they actually say they're going to deliver on, though. They get close, but they don't finish the gap. Or in some cases, they haven't even shipped yet. Do you really care about privacy switches? I mean, really? If I could, if I could switch off the baseband and and stuff, yeah, I think I would do that. I think I don't know if I'd do it yeah. very often, but I, I might. just like I just I, I, like in
1: like the entire purpose of a phone to me is to be connected and not to be disconnected and off the world. If I want to, I have, I do have hmm. an air gap laptop that I use for, for certain things, but I, my phone, I like, I have zero interest in protecting my privacy on a phone. Like, zero, none.
0: That's so interesting. I, I in Fergo in, in the chat room says, uh, what I hear every time I mention Linux is they never deliver. So well, that's the reputation. That's not true. I, I I think there are people out there that make that claim and joke, and they're probably assholes on the internet. But it's people yeah. out there that do that. Let's wrap up this segment with just the last part to just answer your question. One of the things I ask is, would you be just happy with LED status lights? Which I might be, but here's the last thing I like about the toggle switches. Total battery lifesaver. Toggle that switch, I know that baseband isn't drawing power. Toggle that switch, I know that app isn't launching my microphone. At the end of the day, it's my total control over the apps I install. That aspect of it, I like a lot. And I, they're one of the only companies talking about this. So that's why I, I really would like to see them deliver, but I'd like to see them deliver on a single thing first. All right, that's the Linux Action Show's look at the news. I wanted to wrap my head around what the heck software-defined networking is, why the Linux Foundation cares, and where open source fits all in. So when I had a chance to run down to the Open Daylight Summit here in the last week of September in Bellevue, Washington, I went. I decided to go down and check it out, plus it gave know a chance to take over the mic on Linux Unplugged. So I'm going to kind of break it all down for you. What I discovered, who I talked to, I've got a little mini Rover log that I put together just for last, as well as an interview with the executive director. But first, I want to thank Linux Academy for making Whether this segment possible. Whether you're an experienced
3: possible. sysadmin or new to the world of Linux, Azure, and AWS, right. OpenStack, and DevOps, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self paced video courses and hands on labs to give you real world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands on. We also have full time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. We add new training every week, so you'll always be up to date on the latest tech. Sysadmins of every experience level use Linux Academy to stay on the bleeding edge of the Linux ecosystem. You should, too. I'll also mention they have super great download uh, guides and MP3s you
0: can listen to. And I really like their labs because it gives you that hands-on experience so you feel like you know what you're actually doing. It's not the first time you've worked with the stuff when you go do it at work. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, support the show, and sign up for nine bucks a month. That is not bad. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show. So Open Daylight Project is an initiative that is run by the Linux Foundation. It's a software-defined networking project, which is a whole movement for an industry right now for building programmable networks that are flexible and responsive to organizations and users' needs. That's a really, really buzzy way to say, there are new scales of networking that are simply mind-boggling. You need to be able to provision and re- and adapt on the fly really quickly. And the paradigm for how you do this is fundamentally changing. So uh, that's kind of a good setup, really, to kind of start. And we can come back and explain more. I was at the Open Daylight Summit, which is an event to talk about all this stuff, and I uh, wanted to give you a taste of what that's like, so this is my mini rover log from down there. We went to Bellevue, and then we'll come back, we'll talk a little about it, show you uh, one of the couple of the interviews that we got, and uh, then discuss it all. It should be a fun ac- uh, group activity for everyone involved. <laughs> Let's go back in time to pass Chris. I haven't finished my first cup of butter coffee yet. But don't judge, don't judge. But it's already time to head out. I think we're going to Bellevue, which is about an hour from the studio, and then... Uh, well, it's either Bellevue or Seattle. I'm actually in the process of still figuring that out, but I'm pretty sure it's Bellevue. Uh, but first, gotta go pick up Ange. Time for a car swap.
4: Proceed to the highlighted route, then the route guidance will start.
0: It's official. Continue to follow the road. We're on our, two miles. we're gonna be there in, okay, 44 minutes. We're on our way to Bellevue. Not Seattle, which I already made sure Wes knows too. So Wes is clear, we're good there. The uh, cars have been swapped, I've got our equipment, including this monster, which should come in handy (laughs) if you know what I mean, for recording interviews. So we're on our way and uh, we'll report back soon. Mm -hmm. We're here. We're getting on the Wi-Fi. We are registered. Now it's time to go look around and see what we can find. I saw down here there's a showcase room, so I think that's where we're going to start. Look at this. This is great. This is, I think this is my favorite part right here. I already love it. Should we go in? I want to look inside. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna bring an airstream, you gotta look inside. Wow, I would not have thought I would end up in an airstream at the Open Daylight Summit. Look at this. That's, and, that's where the business goes back there, but you only get a privacy screen. Yeah. There's those famous airstream windows. That's pretty great. What do you think of the airstream, Ange?
4: Yeah. Pretty
0: cool. Yeah. LED lighting. Good size. Yeah. So that way we run on batteries.
4: Look at this huge sign. Yeah.
0: It's a monster. That doesn't happen in things like
4: this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this hey. is luxury. Yeah. This oh, is fun. Look. Extra counter. Oh, yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic. Hmm. After walking the floor, we decided to hit the ground. Running, that is, and attended some of the talks to try to absorb as much information as we could, which does work up an appetite. now the most important part of every conference lunchtime i don't see the name what was it called lunchbox laboratory the lunchbox laboratory we just finished up lunch which was delicious and now we're walking back in there to bang out some of our interviews Wes, what are your first impressions so far, sir? Boy. Uh, It's it's complicated. There's
4: a lot of uh, abstract terms. There's a lot of people who are, like, really in-depth in this, like, you're, like, three levels deep in switching, virtualized switching networks. Uh, It's interesting. There's clearly people who are passionate, but it's very much, like, large-scale deployments.
0: I'm getting the impression a little bit it's early days, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Early days for some of this stuff, but going in the right direction. People are still trying to figure out how it works for them and how they make their infrastructure scale using software networking. A lot
4: of people who are kind of mid-migration, maybe haven't completely migrated to it but are trying it out.
0: Coming into something like this, you kind of have to walk in with a little bit of knowledge because they're kind of starting at a level or two above the beginner level, more of the intermediary to advanced level, because some of the people that are talking are the engineers actually working on the projects. right now. They're building cool new stuff. Yeah, so first impressions are it's been educational for both of us. I don't know if I'm getting as much out of it as I had hoped at this point, but it might just be because it's such a nascent market, too. Yeah, exactly. What's Ange think?
4: <laughs> What'd you Lost. learn about Netflix? Uh, yeah. I don't... It's got genius. It, it does have... It has a layer of genius in it. It helps all of the things
0: talk. Yeah. Smartly. Smartly. Genius. Like genius. The Open Daylight Summit ran like a well-oiled machine. It was great to talk to passionate people, and I loved the interviews that we did. Okay, we have reached the end of the Open Daylight Summit. It's Tuesday, we just got done doing our interviews, and I thought before we left, we should do our first thoughts, just sort of takeaways. Um, Wes, you wanna start? Do you have a takeaway?
4: You know, I I think there's an exciting community. It's very, right now, it's very business-led. You know, kind of what we've seen like the Linux community transition into, this is starting that way. Yeah, good Um, point, yeah. But there's a lot of excited people. It sounds like everyone is friends. There's a lot of cro- cross-business
0: communication, collaboration. So yeah. some I of think these, it's some just of the now, but. some of the open source essentials are there. Yeah, the collaboration is there. But they're starting at a how do we make this something we can build value on top of right away? So I think something something that you know in the next two, three, five years that would we'll probably explode. Yeah. What did you think, Ange, Kind of like the businessy stuff. The overall the conference, the event itself.
4: Uh, I thought it was very well put together great food that they offered Uh, the decor was really great it was all outdoor (laughs) camping type stuff. Yeah, that was if you check the Instagram feed You'll see some pictures that we posted
0: of some money was spent
4: (laughs) some money. Yeah, definitely And Um, they have the
0: trailer that was cool.
4: Yep We did a couple we sat in on a couple talks They didn't seem as organized as they could have been and uh, they were shorter, but uh, overall they had at least a very tight view of whatever it was that they were talking about. And they
0: had decent audio and video set up. Mm-hmm. Each room had somebody yes. there with a Mac that was doing a live recording of it. <laughs> Clearly yeah. professional in that way. Yeah, and, and you know, they had a pretty standardized setup. So whatever they had in there doing that really knew their stuff. Um, all of it really felt like... Uh, I think one of the things that Open Daylight benefits from being such a new project is their association with the Linux Foundation because the Linux Foundation knows how to throw a party now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like one of their top things. How to throw a party, how to grow a community, how to sustain it. Yeah, and even on the back end, the communication with the people running the event's been really clear and straightforward, and so uh, it is definitely something that I think would only be applicable to folks that are in this industry that are trying to solve really large networking scale issues, but at the same time it's fascinating to see something at this stage that's moving from nascent, immature technology to something that people are really deploying now, and, beginning, and companies like Cisco and Intel and Red Hat are beginning to build products on top of And you may see it in other places, IoT, etc. Yeah, so. yeah. You might see it in terms of networking just becomes more ubiquitous and more everywhere, right. and it could be open daylight that's behind some of that making it possible. And
4: perhaps a little more genius.
0: And some genius. <laughs> So that's kind of the overview, the highlights. I just wanted to kind of paint the scene for you because I, I don't know if people know what a conference like this is like. And it's, a, it's nice because a lot of people are there for work and they build it that way. So there's a lot of enjoyable things, lots of food. They'd served a, a brilliant lunch. You didn't have to leave, although we decided to because we really wanted a burger. Uh, and so that's the that's the summit where all these geeks come together. A lot of the presentations are given by the people that are actually writing the software. But mm-hmm. I, I now I wanted to give you some meat. So this is the executive director of the Open Daylight project, and uh, this this interview is just it's really it's really fascinating. This guy is super fired up about what he does, and he really has a great grasp on the big picture why the Linux Foundation cares about any of this stuff, and how it kind of all relates to open source.
5: Go Noah, come on not a problem Um, basically what happened is if you look about three four years ago um, you had a number of people who came up with a real interesting insight which was just a couple years before that people had realized that network the way that you manage and uh, deploy networks has to change it has to be software defined rather than defined in hardware meaning rather than have to manage each box individually you'd like to be able to have something like Google Maps or Waze in a sense that is able to then manage all the different cars and where they're all going Mm -hmm. Um, the problem that had happened is while everybody had figured this out, everybody was doing it their own way. <laughs> right? So we you want to have this platform. universal management, and everybody's got their own flavor of it. We know where that goes. Um, and therefore, it wasn't getting adopted. And so what I think the big insight was what we need is a Linux bit of networking. We need one platform, one place that everybody can come together, bring their engineers, bring their technology, and actually get one platform that then everybody can leverage to be able to build their own products.
0: That makes sense. And I think one of the things that seems like I was, I, maybe because I'm not super familiar with all, but I was, I was surprised to see there's folks here from Cisco, from Red Hat, from Intel.
5: There is a lot of Ericsson, we just spoke with Ericsson, tons of interest there. TNT Comcast, American Airlines, Boeing. So what is it they US? love so much? <laughs> I think the first, honestly, it's two things. Number one, it's the technology, right? It's the fact that you've got major business problems. at and was on stage earlier and they talked about how if you look at the amount of data that goes over their wireless network, 150,000% growth in 10 years, right? So they've got to manage their network differently. Yeah, um, no seems it's, this problem is inevitable. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so if you look at uh, someone like AT&T, they can go out and they can buy solutions from all these different people, but then they don't work with each other. And so why do they come here? Because there's a technology that can solve a problem. It'll allow them to manage their network better. Mm-hmm. But the other side is the community. It's the fact that there is no one leader in Open Daylight. You mentioned a whole bunch of companies. I could add HPE, I could add uh, Red Hat. Really, if you look around the list of companies, you've got you know 5, or 10, or uh, five, 10, 20 companies that are here with a whole bunch of folks. And then you've got a long, long tail of other companies that are over here. And the fact is this code isn't controlled by anyone. It's built by many different people. And so just like Linux, the power of Open Daylight is in the community that we have. I, I, I've been picking up on a sense from a lot of the
0: talks that people are transitioning uh, to to this is a real solution that's arrived, we're implementing it, we're testing it, this is what we're experiencing. What, are we at, is there a sort of a, trans, a transition this beginning, and, and what is that? How
4: long might we be on that transition?
5: Yeah, absolutely, I mean, if you look at open source, building, and I was talking to an SVP at a large carrier today, and we were talking about the challenge of building a true platform, yeah. and the truth is, whether you build a platform within a company, or you build a platform in open source, it's really, really freaking hard, <laughs> <laughs> right? I yeah, mean, it's, it's hard technically, it's hard It socially takes a ton of resources Mm -hmm. and you make a a few bad choices and Mm -hmm. you fail. Mm -hmm. Um, So certainly if you look in the first few years of Open Daily, just like any other project, there's the first question, can you get people to care and invest enough? Secondly, okay, you get people to actually invest. Can you get them to work with each other effectively? Can you get them to build something good? But even then... That still doesn't mean that you've actually solved the problem really well. Yeah. So now you need to get people to actually try it. And, so that you, and immediately they try and they say, I'll, you, can, you can edit this out. But um, I had one of the big users pick it up and say, this is the biggest piece of horseshit we've ever seen. This is our first release and then the answer is okay so great that was your experience I agree it's a little bit rough <laughs> do you just want to criticize us or are you yeah. interested in actually making it better? it better and the good news is you've had user after user after uh, user from AT&T to Comcast to a whole other set of organizations that have been willing to come in test the stuff give us advice help us improve it and yeah four or five releases ago, it may not have been usable. Mm-hmm. But what you had is by the second release, it got better. By the third release, people were actually doing serious proof of concepts. By the fourth release, you had a bunch of people actually putting it in their network. By the fifth release, now you've got people saying, hey, it's in production. It's been in production for a couple of years.
4: There's people that really are yes, using it. it.
5: So absolutely, we're turning that corner. Um, the other part is it's not just usage. Those people who have been using it have had to have wanted to contribute back. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got this sort of wonderful thing that goes on here. If you look at the dominant set of people who come, they're software engineers. Mm-hmm. The second set of people are network architects. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is it's not like the software engineers all work for vendors and the architects all work for users. You've got software engineers at users and architects at users. You've got software engineers uh, and network architects at vendors, and they're all working together so to try to improve that of problems. Here. Exactly.
4: Yeah. Do you have any? Um, clearly, there's a platform. Is there any insight into where do you where do you, where does the platform stop? and the value add or where you can see, you know, where does the community end and where
5: other people can contribute proprietary solutions? Yeah, there's a big difference if you look at Linux versus Open Daylight. Mm but one of the big differences is, in many ways, Linux is a product, right? I mean, Microsoft Windows versus Linux, one's proprietary, one's open source. But at the end of the day, you can deploy both. One could argue that maybe it's not Linux, but it's actually RHEL or Ubuntu, okay. but they're not that different. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that allows that is, if you're a, dev- a Linux developer, a Linux kernel developer, you're not only the developer, you're actually the user too, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like. I wonder what a user would want in an operating system. Well, let me ask one of them. What would you like in an operating so, system? Well, I would want, <laughs> right? You argue with yourself, you get some good answers, and then you, you go and develop itch, yeah. it. If you are developing networking software, if you're writing a controller, mm-hmm. I can promise you 100% of the people who, who are software engineers to build networking products don't run production networks. They're two different audiences, mm. and so what you end up having, it's a little bit harder to do that. If you want to go find an end user or a customer, you've got to find someone who's different from you, probably works for a different organization. Yeah. Um, and so for us, when we've, when we look at, uh, when we've looked at what, what can we be, what should we be, I think our belief has been we don't build products. We build technology. We're building a technology platform that can be used to build products or solutions by, by a whole set of people. Mm-hmm. What I think that allows us to do is, is have a nice separate... The challenge is if, if we built a full product, a full product stack that it went in there, well, it would be hard to add value around beyond sort of just some service and some support. Right. Mm-hmm. So if that happens, you don't make very much money. If you're not going to make very much money, then I'm not going to put too many engineers. If I don't Three put minutes. many engineers, I'm going to build a product mm-hmm. where it's going to be a shitty product. Sure. Right. So instead what we say is, let's do this. We've got to Certain amount of engineers, we're going to get them to come together and build a platform. Lots of people are going to contribute to that platform, but then we're going to make each one of them build a different solution. So you get someone like Avaya who comes in and says, "Hey, I want I want to do IoT, but the problem with IoT is how do I create a secure connection to, say, my MRI machine or or um, what is that thing when you're uh, when you're pregnant that you're using to." Ultrasound, thank you. Or you can just connect uh,
4: to your home systems. You know, well, yeah.
5: In this case, this is for more hospital yeah. devices and other things like that. Hmm. Um, but you look at that, that's a very different That's a very different use case sure. as someone who's making a big router. Yeah. But what's interesting, the exact same platform can serve this little tiny device, and you, you can manage 168,000 of these from one open daylight cluster, or a bunch of $100,000 routers. In the same way that Linux can run a big supercomputer. And at the same time, Linux is in that GoPro camera over there.
0: Okay, so that is sort of his – that's the first part of the interview. Are you interested mm-hmm. in the next part? Yeah,
1: oh, for sure. You good? The, the, the the thing that occurred to me, that mm-hmm. all I could hear, the enterprise person in me and the person who sells solutions to enterprise places, all I can think about and all I'm hearing is now you can take all of your – instead of having network engineers and system administrators, you can have system administrators that can do network stuff because it's all being done – Yeah. Uh, essentially, as an application on a server.
0: There's a part to that. I mean, it's it's a pretty sophisticated technology, and uh, you're still you're also still going to be inter- interconnecting with you know Cisco equipment or HP sure, equipment. Course. So there's still going to be some yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It it takes um, networking. and makes it as manageable as deploying servers with Puppet and things exactly. like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, okay, so this next part is uh, probably the part that if anybody's been kind of like a little lost so far, this next part's what actually brings it home. It's, it's shorter, and it talks about how this more compares to open source and the change that's coming across the telco industry, which if you think about it, is probably, you wouldn't think an industry that immediately adopts something that's li- an, op- an awful lot like an open source philosophy and starts working across industry, but that's exactly what's happening. So that's what makes the next part awfully fascinating. <laughs>
4: Seems like if you're laying that foundation, you know, maybe the big problem is, you know, if I'm gonna buy a switch, I really want to trust the vendor that, that's gonna be able to do right. things. So if we have a open foundation that we can, you know, that's trusted by the industry, then yeah, you can develop a, a small product that has the backing of a huge a huge number of companies.
5: Absolutely, and we're already seeing that. Um, so uh, you know, another large service provider was sharing with me the the way they're starting to write their RFPs is the first question is do you leverage open daylight, do you connect with open daylight? So they obviously if you've built your product on Open Daylight, you've benefited from our continuous integration, (CI/CD) environment. Um, but actually a lot of service providers are building those CI/CD environments so that if you come in with a, hey, I've got a solution to solve a specific problem, they can connect it and run it against all the other pieces. And because it's all based on the same the same technology, because we've standardized some of the interfaces that are there, this makes it a lot easier.
0: Hmm. This, is pretty, this is pretty exciting. And
5: uh, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Um, you know, I think that there is there's two parts that make what we're doing really exciting the first part is the actual technology that we're that we're creating right the networking industry has never come together at this scale in open collaboration and if you look at the um, what we've achieved now in five releases in really less than four years that's pretty impressive but it's the other part that I find the most exciting I think as a human being which is you know for so long you're within a company you work maybe you collaborate with the people on your team if you're lucky you collaborate with people in another division you never collaborate with with people from a different company, right? A few people get sent to those standards bodies, but they they end up fighting the entire time. <laughs> and what you see when you walk around here is there's a, there's a kind of magic. We've got 500 people. They work for a mm-hmm. hundred different companies, mm-hmm. and they're not only friends. Mm-hmm. They not only go and drink afterwards, but they actively work together. Some of them have worked on Open Daylight for two or three companies, like we saw like we saw in the mm-hmm. Linux industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that. What we're showing the world is that we can be real. We can be humans. Mm-hmm. Um, we. Um we can produce something great without sort of the standard dehumanizing command and control model that so many people experience in a corporation. Yeah, people have bosses. Yes, people have to make money. You know, we're, we're not creating a communist utopia here. But at the same time, within a capitalist model, we're able to show that different individuals um, who are equally smart and often highly opinionated can come together, work with each other, build together, and then go back and compete actively and stay friends. Wow, And I think that's awesome. That's the big picture. Thank you, sir. That was great. Thank you very much.
0: Like I said, he was thinking about the big picture there. Uh, So yeah, it was great to talk to him. The entire uh, conference was... Oh, hi there. Hi. (laughs) Hey
1: there. That's the ending clip. Now we transition back to live.
0: (laughs) That was uh, pretty interesting and extremely illuminating, and we had great conversations with uh, a project that's making a Linux distro around this stuff with the guy that herds the cats for the community and manages the server infrastructure behind all of it, and to two different employees from Ericsson and an individual that works uh, directly at the project Uh, She was, uh, all of their interviews will uh, likely be featured in uh, Tuesday's Linux Unplugged, so, uh, because Wes will be there with me. That was Wes, uh, that was the other voice you heard, Wes from Linux Unplugged. So he and I will sort of round out our thoughts and... uh, His name was in the video a couple times, so I'm sure they caught that. Well, people are asking in the chat room, who's that guy? Hey, who? Hey, no, Who's that guy? Noah. Who's that guy? That was let me, Wes. Let me let me ask you a question.
1: Yes, sir. Um, so, the, I mean, that's all of that is is very interesting. And I had done some research. I knew that Open Daylight was a platform for this, but I, that gives me a lot more clarity to to what uh, SDN and what Open Daylight and how they kind of work together. But I got we have a couple people in the chat room that are asking at a, at a very high level. What is software-defined networking?
0: <clears throat> well, it is, very simply put, a way to deploy resources on your network uh, by software. That's kind of the most basic way to understand so, it. Right, is so, what you're e- saying, routers and switches via software? Right, and so you have this middle level that sits here, that this is where all of this... And there's, Open Daylight isn't the only one, and so you, if, you're, if you're looking for documentation on there's other projects you can look into as well. There's this middle management layer... That has mm-hmm. to take stuff that comes, what they call from the northbound to the southbound, which is incoming network to outgoing network hardware and software, and it brings it all together. So every vendor comes up and works with Open Daylight in this case. They all have this, so they're all talking the same language HP, mm-hmm. Ericsson, Cisco. They're all speaking the same language. So they can all take the same management commands. They all essentially support the same basic set of features. So you have a set of predict- you have predictability when it comes to your network hardware, mm-hmm. and you can sort of allocate network hardware on demand. So I'll give you an example. Um, say you're a hospital, and you have this huge land that's because you're a big campus, and mm-hmm. now you're expanding to doctors at other campuses. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of HIPAA requirements and issues here. There's a lot of different industries that have this problem, but this is just so someone I think that resonates with all of us. Um, <clears throat> there, with software-defined networking, you could have data centers and networks that scale across multiple LANs, multiple networks over the network, over the internet, using also carriers' back-end networking to facilitate this in a way that is truly an absolute private LAN. Um, so it is a way to sort of accomplish things that we've been working towards. Or it's also, another example would be a way to spin up infrastructure on demand. So say you're DigitalOcean digital ocean, and somebody just turned on 500 droplets. Well, there is a whole there is a whole networking backend uh, with uh, the virtual machines and discussing uh, uh, having fake uh, switches and <clears throat> routing between the private network and the hosts themselves. and then you consider containers that also sometimes need to have network addresses and be able to have vlans and talk to certain networks mm-hmm. that you can have you can spin up. You can use software-defined networking to manage and spin up networking that has the right route set up and the right subnet set ready to go as these machines turn on. So as the servers mm-hmm. turn on, the networking infrastructure turns on behind it too. Sure. Uh, and if you think about if you have a system that can sometimes turn on hundreds of thousands of servers at once, you have to be able to automate some of that infrastructure.
1: Would it be fair to say – and this is – I'm asking my own. I, I actually don't know the answer to this. Um, is it kind of like if you've ever used GNS3, is it kind of like GNS3 except it actually works rather than just simulates? GS3? Oh, okay, sorry. So GNS3, is a it's a software application where you can load uh, well, here, firmware images. Just-
0: let me say this. How about this? So... Uh, Part of your questions. Well, all of your questions will likely be answered in the interviews on Linux Unplugged because I ask. Oh, there all you of go. This. So I, for example, I, I talked to a person from Ericsson to talk about data center networks that span like multiple data centers and lands. I talked to uh, a a, a gal named Heather who is mm-hmm. who is doing it for uh, software testing for different types of routers for internet and for Internet of Things devices where they have uh-huh. they want to have they have they have different labs that have that are do, where they're doing uh, real time continuous testing to Internet of Things devices, and they want to be able to manage that network when these things come online and whatnot. So they're using software-defined networking to manage that. So we've got a couple of different use case scenarios coming up in this week's Linux Unplugged. So listen to that, and it should answer your questions. All right. So there you go. All right, well that is the Linux Action Show's look at the Open Daylight Summit and the Open Daylight Project. Links in the show notes if you want to know more. And if you're an audio listener, that uh, mini-Roverlog also embedded in the show notes. And then check out Linux Unplugged on Tuesday. For the rest. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. We got some great emails to get into some important, important clarifications. But first, I got an important clarification. (laughs) That's System 76. Your face, dude. Your face. Your face.
1: Oh, System, you can always tell when you don't want to do something.
0: System 76. <laughs> System, yeah, it's not, it's not the spot. It's, it's the feedback that's coming up. But yeah, stay tuned yeah. for that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, You know what? I'll tell you, though. It's getting to me. System 76 uh, has really gotten to a sweet spot. I think it's pretty obvious. They're delivering hardware. Like, no, nobody else is really delivering the kind of rigs they're delivering right now. Like, uh, the Bonobo workstation's nuts. But the one that really seems to be popular in our, in our audience is the Oryx Pro. It's got the GTX 10 series GPUs which is nuts. It's got the aluminum alloy construction. It's surprisingly thin. I'm not going to say it's a super thin laptop, but for uh, something that has GTX 10 series laptops and i7 processors, if you upgrade, uh, and up to 64 gigs of RAM, this thing is, it is obviously striking a note with the JB audience. They have great desktops too, including like all-in-ones and tiny Meerkat and, and really nice workstations. But the laptops, I don't, I don't think anybody's competitive at this level. I, this is everything I pretty much need in a machine. And the storage options will blow your mind. And uh, to that end, uh, I, think it's, I think it's been resonating. People go over to System76, they tell them that Noah switched them to Linux. Even if you already run Linux, that's important. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then look at this, we got an unboxing video. Actually, we got a couple from Samuel. He, he really took some time and he, like, uh, it, it, took many, it took many conversations to make sure that we had the right video. But uh, he had two videos. I'm gonna play a little bit of this first one because it's right after he unboxed it. Which oh is,
6: yeah, this is nice. We got 15 inches of awesomeness. That's his Oryx right there. This has the GTX 1070 in it. Oh, man. We got all that. All that there input on the side. Look at all that. Yeah. I wish the camera would focus. Can you focus camera? There Thank you
1: go. You. Must be Android.
6: we got on the back. You got display, display port. Display port. Yeah. HDMI. Yeah, got on the back. Awesome. That's nice. So apparently there's only fan grill on this side. Look Not how thin that sides. thing is
0: for the kind of laptop it is
6: that's easier to manhandle. And on this side here, we got our our Ethernet, USB 3. And then
0: like a beast, of course, the next thing he does is it's upgrade time, and so then here he is installing his upgrades. Look at the inside of that thing.
6: Yeah, one slot right there occupied. Nice. With 8 gigs of RAM. And then here's the hard drive caddy, which, uh, as you can see, it's kind of big. So, I would assume that is indeed the case.
0: That's the nice thing about a machine like that. You get serious storage. And then, of course, Noah over there, he's got his Oryx Pro. I mean, everybody's got Oryx Pros up in this business. except Everyone
1: for- except Chris.
0: <laughs> Chris is the low man oh, out. One of these days, I'll be broadcasting from Lady Jupes in either a Bonobo workstation, I'm not sure, or, or an Oryx Pro. Go to System76.com and get a machine designed to run Linux. What, I think my favorite thing about it, to be honest with you, is when I nuke and pave, I just... Am up and going in no time. That's, that's a no problem situation. So the mail comes we- in. Yeah, I want to jump into this. So Nehemiah writes in. And Super asked, important email.
1: He has, he has asked the same question that many of the rest of you are asking. Now, before we actually started the segment, Chris tried to tell me how he doesn't really care that you want clarification to this, and he doesn't think it's that important. No, I that's know, not what I said. That's that's pretty much exactly what he said. No, okay. to Rafi, he's gonna Here's say, what I audience, said. Audience, Hold I don't on. care what they say, and I don't want clarification.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want them to be confused. I, I believe that was recorded sure. if you need me to. Here's yeah. what I said. is I said, this is an email that said, hey Noah, was this what you said? And then the answer No, I meant this. That's literally the entire email. But go ahead, read it.
1: All right. Go ahead, read it. no one mentioned Zoho CRM, and I didn't see that that was open source. And then he gives another recommendation, which is Odoo, which is open source, and he says consider it. Now, the important clarification that Chris doesn't seem to think is so important, but I know that is, is that we weren't talking about Zoho, we were talking about Zermo. And the thing about Zermo is, and why it's important, and why we need to take a moment to talk about it, is because Speed is fundamentally transforming our, we're starting, really. We're fundamentally starting a sales division, and as part of that, it is all being centered around Zermo, and we have deployed it. It's basically a web-based CRM that you can run on a DigitalOcean droplet and access with a System76 computer over a ting- yeah. <laughs> the, uh, hot hotspot. I mean, it's it's a great piece of open source software, and the fact that uh, somehow Zermo came out as Zoho means that everyone is not looking at Zermo, which you should be looking at it, because it's a great piece of software. I think, I think
0: so. in my mind, probably three people cared, or four people cared, and three people e- emailed in about it. And then Chris
1: at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Let him know he's wrong.
0: And then there's about 395,000 people who don't really care. That's what I think is probably where the ratio breaks down, but good enough. All right, next email comes in what a heads up about QNAP, which is great, because that's going to be. You know that's I will have a QNAP review upcoming at some point when, when the hardware comes in. It's from Gordon. It says, hello, Chris and Noah. I just wanted to let you know that my ears perked up when you heard about a QNAP device coming in. He's done some recent experiences, too, experiments, experiences, whatever, uh, comparing specifically Proxmox connecting over iSCSI to the QNAP versus eventually switching over to a FreeNAS, and he got mm-hmm. much better results with the FreeNAS. He also sounds like he had some back and forth with the support. Uh, and so he, was, he gave me a little, like, warning sign about his experience with QNAP devices. If you've got a QNAP device, uh, I've talked about uh, one, like, uh, at the end of the Open Media Vault uh, review. You can find the one I'm talking about in the show notes. If you've got experience with a class of device like that, I'd love to hear it. Go to JupyterBroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the feedback and send it in so we can keep on top of it. You know, I said we should take calls, but we ended up running, like, super long. We always get to this point in the show, and it's like, oh, we're too long. I think were we screwing around a lot on the live stream or was it just a long show I can't tell. Yeah, I was trying to get us back on schedule but. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: You over there with your changing shirts and <laughs> farting on Mike and <laughs>
0: I don't even I don't even know what to say to that. This is like excuse you, me is usually pretty typical. You like live over in like some sort of Grand Forks reality where a dozen of eggs cost ninety nine cents. I can't even fifty dude fifty, 50 cents fifty, 50 cents, cents. It was fifty cents for a dozen eggs. I couldn't believe it. I'm coming over there, Noah. I'm gonna spend six months and I'll save so much money on groceries that it'll be like that. I won't You'll need pay to. cash for a house. Yeah, yeah I I'll just know. go pay cash for stuff back in Washington. All right, if you'd like to tune in live and see what we, what we wasted so much time on, go to jblive.tv on a. Sunday. Sunday. We do it at noon Pacific and go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to watch it live. Also, heads up if you're a patron at patreon.com slash today and you're supporting the whole damn network and helping us grow future shows that are audience funded, patreon.com slash today. At the $3 level or more, I'm posting our live streams when YouTube doesn't eat them, but we will most likely have a full live version of this, and I'm messing around now with the RSS feeds. Patreon just recently added, um, I think it's audio only, so I And we're going to mess with that. But Patreon just recently added RSS feed support. So isn't that a son of a gun thing? So we'll be messing around with making our live stuff subscribable to our patrons. And we'll also probably within the next short period of time have a brand new name for that Patreon page that kind of better represents the fact that you're supporting the entire network. Patreon.com slash today is where you find that. And that's where you do that business. Hey, what about your business? Where do people find you online, Mr. Noah?
1: We are trying to grow and expand AltaSpeed uh, and uh, Twitter handles at AltaSpeed. Again, people that are in the central Wisconsin area, I have a number of people that have contacted me. But if you haven't and you're interested in some part-time work, um, Monday is the final day where we're going to situate all this stuff. So it's your last chance if you want some part-time work, working on networking and hopefully converting some people to Linux, mm. head over to AltaSpeed.com. Click on our contact link and let us know that you're in the area and would be interested. You can follow me on Twitter at KernelLinux. That guy's at Chris Elia
0: that's it. Anything and else? You can Jupiter Signal it. at Jupiter Signal. You got it. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Drama is the fat of the beefy world. Um, that is that is extremely deep and insightful and also completely confusing and doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um okay, let's start. <clears throat> hey, it's the news this episode is brought to you by Chris You son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. I'm dreaming of a new segment. Hey Noah, let's go. Quit screwing around. There we go. Now we can start. Okay. Dokey. I'm dreaming. <laughs> hey,
1: it's the feedback in this what? section. is I had to say something to stop Christmas. I
0: wasn't singing Christmas. I don't know what you're you talking about. Started. You were starting. No, you I, were wasn't, no you I wasn't, dude. No, I wasn't. You were dreaming and it was white. was um, lie. No, I was about to say- July, You were dreaming about white stuff. Uh-uh, I was about all to- All over the place. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, I was about to dream of an Oryx Pro. Have you noticed how many people in our audience are getting Oryx Pros? I know. It's ridiculous. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, I want an RX Pro so bad. They're all getting Orx Pros. Everyone else has an RX Pro. Why don't you? have Yeah, an I know. It's great. All right. So here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready, darling? What, what the? I'm gonna grab my Orx Pro while uh while you uh. I thought I thought your dad was using that thing.
1: Oh, sorry. Just thought I should have it near.
0: I thought I thought uh, I thought your old man was using that thing. He is, but I gotta, I'm changing the hard drive for him.
1: You still haven't done that. Well, I he it, probably doesn't even remember anymore I, at this point. Uh, no, yeah, he doesn't. No, he, I did, but he's in India, so he I get to play oh, with it. Oh, good excuse.
0: You could sell that to me for a decent price. I'd probably take it off your hands for more than your dad's paying for it. Uh, he gave me. Uh, well, no, he paid me what I get paid for it. So. Oh, oh, well, all right, okay. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I only used it. For, yeah. You charged him a new price for it. You used... charge of anything he
5: offered. Incredible.
0: Yeah well that's okay I want, besides I want one with a GTX 10 series card anyways Psh, I don't want that old thing